for the last four or five weeks, I haven't been able to sing because of my throat. Today's been the first that I've really sort of felt that I could, and I'm glad I was able to uh, sing for that last one. This uh, week has been a week of looking in, in our house. Uh, we spent the first half of the week looking for uh, forward to Wednesday, basically, whether it is uh, presents under the tree or looking for snow, looking for uh, lights on a sleigh in the sky uh, or um, looking for a wee bit of mistletoe. And then I spent the second half of the week looking for batteries and looking for bargains in the shop and looking for instructions for toys and I'm still looking for the mistletoe. I'm convinced she's hid it on me. Wise woman. It's a time for looking. Whether children are looking in anticipation or whether preachers are wrestling with overly familiar texts looking for a fresh take. My Christmas has all been about looking. And in fairness, the first Christmas was all about looking as well. We have Mary who looked into the face of her newborn son, the Messiah, Jesus. We have Joseph who was looking for lodgings other than an open courtyard where where the animals stayed. Angels looked on as shepherds left their flocks by night and went looking for that sign that was given to them, that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The wise men looked to a star leading them from, uh, leading them west. But none in the story of Christmas looked as intently or with as much intensity as Simeon. He's an amazing, wonderful man whose only mention in Scripture appears in these couple of verses in Luke chapter 2. And so let's dive straight into the passage. There was a time came uh, for their purification according to the law of Moses. They brought him up. This is Mary and Joseph. They brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifices according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Uh, As we come to this passage, there are a few things that I just want to flag up. Now, I don't want this to become uh, like a lecture or a seminar, but I think it's important. Accuracy is always important when it comes to to Scripture. And there's a lot of um, misinformation, or at least a lot of careless thinking when it comes to Christmas. Uh, There has been some time that has now passed since Christ was born. And maybe this spoils the picture, but Accuracy is important because when you put Matthew's, uh, uh, Matthew's account of events beside Luke's account, sometimes it looks as if things don't fit together. And so I want to just take just two minutes here at the start of the service and just show you um, a bit of a timeline because it's important. Jesus, of course, is born in the year 4 BC. Nope. And uh, shepherds arrive that evening. That is part of the, the story that it does happen. Uh, whether Jesus was born at nighttime is anybody's guess, but what we do know is that the shepherds in the evening came down to worship. Then it's eight days later. Jesus is still in Bethlehem, and he would be circumcised because he's a Jew. That would have been done either in the local uh, teaching point in Bethlehem, perhaps like John the Baptist, the, the priest could have came out to the house. Then you add another five weeks on. 
And Jesus then is coming up on, on six weeks old. He's 41, maybe 42 days old. And that's whenever Jesus comes into this passage this morning. He goes up to the temple in Jerusalem and he meets Simeon. He meets Anna and there's that account. Now, please be aware, the wise men have not arrived yet. Herod is not looking for the baby because while they are up in the temple, the chances are the Romans will have had guards posted along the way. They're worried about insurrection. They're worried about the zealots. They're worried about rebellion. There has been some serious uh, revolt and instability because we know that uh, later on, uh, Pontius Pilate, he's, his job's on the brink because of the trouble. So, it's not unreasonable to think that there are soldiers, not inside the temple, but on the way up to the temple. You think if Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were wanted by the soldiers and Herod, they could just walk into the temple? It doesn't work like that. But they walk up into the temple because nobody's looking for them at this point. Now, from Matthew's account, we know that after this, they go back to Bethlehem. They stay there, and Jesus could be anywhere from six months to a year old. And then the wise men arrive. They present their gifts. How I know that happens is that because they bring a poor family's gift to the temple. Instead of bringing a lamb, which is what would have normally happened, they can't afford that. They bring turtle doves, pigeons. It's, it's like barely scraping the barrel together to get something like that. If Joseph had been given the gold, frankincense, the myrrh, these precious gifts, you better believe he didn't just hold on to them. He used the money to, for his family to be stable. And if he had that money, he would have bought himself a lamb because he knew that this was not just any child. He would have done it for any child, but this is the Messiah. It deserves a lamb, but he can't afford a lamb. So the wise men haven't came yet. It's then at, uh, in maybe, say, eight to 12 months, the wise men come. Herod comes straight afterwards. Mary and Joseph smuggle Jesus off to Egypt. Then Herod dies. Chances are they're only in Egypt for a month or two. It's not years and years and years. And then they go from Egypt straight back to Nazareth. Matthew and Luke tell two different versions of the story. Not because it's a different story, but because they're focusing on two different things. It's important that we link them together. It's important that you see the accuracy because the whole wise men and Herod, all of that happens between verses 38 and 39 in Luke 2. And he doesn't mention it. They go from the temple just straight to Nazareth. But in between those verses, you go back to Bethlehem. You've got the wise men. You've got Egypt and then Nazareth. So it just, it's just important that we fit that together so that we see the um, unity of Scripture and it's important that we don't allow Christmas carols and Christmas cards to dictate how we tell the story. Because maybe you've never thought about, well, how did they get up to the temple with soldiers and Herod looking for them? This is why. So, as we come to these verses then in Luke 2, uh, really verses 25 to 32, which is our focus this morning, Jesus is maybe just over six weeks old. The shepherds have gone. The wise men are still following a star. The family is in Jerusalem. Herod is still the king. And Herod is unaware of what's going on. Now, the fact that Mary and Joseph don't have enough money for a big offering, this little dedica dedication service, 
tells us a lot then about what God values in a family. He doesn't care about wealth. He has a different priority list than ours. It's not wealth that matters to him, but trustworthiness. That's what he values. He can resource us, no problem. What he wants to do is, can I trust you with those resources? And so Mary and Joseph, they don't have a lot of money. But what they have is um, a, a worthiness that God puts in them. So this family, they walk into the temple. They're not hiding in the shadows. They're not sneaking in and sneaking out. It's not cloak and dagger. They walk on in, and absolutely no one cares who they are. The temple's a busy place, and they're back and forth, maybe weaving in between the crowds. And when I say nobody cares, nobody cares who they are, well, not quite no one because there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel or waiting for the one who would come and bring comfort, bring healing to Israel. It's the Messiah. He's waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The new year is a chance to reflect on the year that has gone. To assess, to evaluate, regroup, recalibrate, and move forward. Sometimes it's hard, you know, to know what day of the week it is. They all blur together when you're off and just eating turkey. When is the appropriate time to start eating celebrations? Is 10 too early? But if you see the last Malteser one in the celebrations tent, you can have it with your breakfast. Can you? I don't know. When does that stop being okay? Was it ever okay? Why am I still doing it? These are the questions of Christmas that many of us ask. But generally speaking, this week, we switch off, we relax, we enjoy our time off. And please, I hope you do enjoy your time off. But as we get into Simeon, There are some wonderful lessons for us here as we head into the new year that are worth looking looking at. Christmas is a time for looking. And so I want us to look at Simeon here. And so let me say this. Look at Simeon's eyes. Here's a man expecting God's promise. My eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation isn't something you do. It's someone you know. When you know Christ personally and your sins have been forgiven by him, you don't do anything. He has done it all for us. And when we know that one, that person, we have a relationship with one. That's salvation. It's not something we do. It's someone we know. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding a baby when he says that. Peter will say in the book of Acts, there is no other name given among heaven among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. We sang it. 
there just before the message. So that's why we preach Christ. That's why you're not saved unless you know Christ personally. You can be religious all you want. You can be good. You can be well-intentioned. But we like to make a point in, in our church that not, and not everybody agrees with it, but it's there in the Bible. You need to know Christ personally to be saved. Jesus never said, my teachings are the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He never said, uh, follow my teachings and you'll get to heaven. He says, follow me. It's relational. You have to have that relationship with Christ. And it's so dangerous when I hear people say, listen, pray the prayer. If you pray the prayer and tick the boxes, then you're a Christian. No, you're not. You're not. That's the fundamentals. You repent, you pick up your cross, and you follow him. That's salvation. But I digress. I think when we get to Simeon's age, the temptation is to spend more time looking back than forwards. It's easier to remember the things that have happened than to spend your time retelling the tales of glory days that have gone before, of what it used to be like in the good old days. It's easier because looking forward has more uncertainty about it. And yet Simeon is someone who has their eyes fixed firmly looking forward and it's filled with expectation. He's looking for the Savior. The Holy Spirit has told him that he will not die until he sees the coming Messiah. And so here is a man who's characterized by hope as well as righteousness. But I think it's really interesting. Verse 25 tells us about his character, that he is just and upright and righteous. And yet, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then in verse 26, after we hear that about his character, the Spirit, who knows his heart is yearning, who knows his heart is expecting, who knows that this man is looking and says to him, I promise you'll see it. That order to me is really interesting. I think a lot of people, when they think about the New Year's resolutions, they want it to happen the other way around. God, give me the promises, and then I'll get passionate. God, do something amazing, and then I'll start to get more interested in doing things for you. Make the big impact, and then I'll respond. But here is a man whose heart is set on the things of God, who's passionate for the things of God, for the Word of God to come to fruition, and the Spirit of God responds to him. There was a lot of people in church that day. And yet Simeon and Anna, a woman who was over 100 years old, okay, she was probably married at about 16. The Bible tells us that she's been a widow then for 84 years. So even if he died the next day, his, her husband died the next day, that still puts her at about 100 years old. These two senior saints in that whole temple, in all the busyness, in all the rush, in all the hullabaloo of everyday life, these two were the only people who met the Savior. But there was absolutely nothing stopping everyone meeting him that day. Nothing. But only two responded. Folks, you're in a church service today. God is here. 
but I will imagine that the vast majority of you will leave unaffected and unaware because we don't always come seeking God the way we ought to. Jesus said, if you seek me, you'll find me. But here in our text, there's only two people who are looking. A lot of people in church, but only two people looking. And only two people find him. That's not coincidence in my book. And I'm just going to ask the question, I wonder if there's Christians in church this morning and you're spending so much time looking back on the year that's gone ahead. You're looking at friendships lost or fallouts or things that happened at work or things that happened in the family, things that happened maybe in church or, or things that, and you're maybe, some, some of it's good for you and you're going, yes, okay, I changed the job and it's exciting and it's good or, or I got, I, I've made some new friends, I, I, there's some new relationships and it's exciting and it's good. But when it comes to the future, when it comes to what we, we're saying, for, well, what do we want for 2020? Our response is that we're looking behind us and we're defining what comes by the conditions that we've already experienced. So we're looking behind and saying, okay, well, I want more of this. I don't want any of this. Could I have some of this? And we're not looking forward. We're not setting our eyes on Christ, but we're looking behind us to dictate the course where we want to go forward. The only way to truly move forward into this new year is to properly let go of the past. We talked to the boys and girls. You can't just let, just let go of it and just let it linger. We have to bring it to Christ. We have to leave it with the Lord. And, and listen to me here in this church. Hear me clearly on this. You've got to leave the niggly stuff behind. Stop carrying the niggly stuff around with you. You've got to let it go. You've got to bring it to the Lord. You have to deal with it properly. That's what I mean by letting it go, okay? You've got to sort it out. Don't carry this forward. Seek Him out. Seek out the promises of God. Seek out the Word of God in your life. He will not let you down. He will show up. He will fulfill His promises. But if you're not seeking Him, you'll miss out. You'll miss out. There I say, you'll miss out again. You cannot hold on to hurts and seek God at the same time because all the while you're saying, oh, I, I want to pursue joy. I want to pursue holiness. I want to build up my saints. I want to build up my brothers and sisters. I want to reach the lost. But at the same time, you're saying, huh, you see them, what they're doing. I'm not talking to them. I'm not. Uh, it doesn't work. They can't coexist. Fix your eyes on Christ. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Seek him. Look for him. And I promise you, you will find him. Simeon and Anna saw the Savior while so many others missed it. Not because Jesus didn't show up in church that day, but because they were the only ones actively seeking him, looking for him, expecting him to show up. That was the difference between those two and everyone else. So let me say this. If you go into the new year and you're just going to hope that you're going to wake up on January the 1st and suddenly you're going to be spiritually mature and everything's going to be dealt with and everything's going to be sorted and everything's going to be rosy and flowery and you're, you're, you're kidding yourself. You'll be like the other people in the temple who were so close. Jesus was there in their presence and you missed it. Remember what Hebrews eleven six 6 says? 
that, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I could rattle off many examples. But let me just say this. If you bury your head in busy schedules again like last year, or if you find yourself in lazy routines like you did last year, nothing's going to change from last year. You'll miss him. He'll be here. Trust me, he'll be here. He promised he'll be here. He'll be working here in this church. He will be working here. Our sovereign God doesn't need you to work. But what will happen is he'll be working, he'll be stirring, he'll be doing amazing things, and you'll be unaware. And you'll spend this year wondering, why isn't God doing anything? Why isn't God speaking? Why isn't God moving? And you'll find yourself, oh, am I just going through the motions? Why am I just dragging my feet? Why am I just treading water? And it's not because he isn't working, it's because you haven't sought him out. Look at his eyes. He's looking to the future, expecting God's promise. He sought him and he found them and he got his reward because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's move on. Let we look at his eyes and expecting God's promise. Let's look at his lips. Here's a man expressing God's praise. Here's an old man worshiping God in church. I think there's something special about that in a general sense. The older even I'm getting, and I still like to think I'm not that old, but I certainly know that it becomes a harder fight against cynicism. Can I get a wee bit more colder? You get a wee bit more cynical? And you have to consciously fight to be open, to be softer, to give people benefits of the doubt. Not because maybe that's the right thing to do, but it's because it's who I want to be. And that becomes a wee bit of a harder fight every day. And, and the more scars that you collect and the more hurts you accumulate, and I know it's true for everyone, but I think the older that people get, especially for men, the harder it becomes to lose yourself in moments of praise and worship. That's what I see, not, not just in this church, but across the board, talking to ministers in many, many churches. Praying, certainly. Teaching, certainly. Singing, not so much. Mothers tend to naturally get into the habit of singing when it comes to their children. It tends to come just that wee bit more naturally, generally speaking. And whether it's good singing or not is irrelevant. It's not the point. But a father who is willing to sing I think makes an incredible contribution to making his home a happy one. To come home from work and to put on some worship music and to sing along to it. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be, okay, children, sit up on the sofa. Daddy's going to put on a concert for you. No, 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 no. But just as you put on the kettle, you're humming along, you're singing along. The, the words are on your lips. Because singing is a response to great emotions. Take any football crowd, they'll sing because they're passionate about the subject. Concerts get filled out up and down the country every weekend. 
whether it's really rousing anthems or soft ballads. Music and singing is a wonderful, powerful, unifying thing. It draws people in. It invites people in to share in the message. I believe our God is a great believer in the power of music and the power of singing. In fact, our God is a God who sings. That beautiful, beautiful verse in Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. God is a God who sings over his children. And I think a father, a, a male role model, that main role model for their children's lives who sings shows that there is a deeper hope in his, than in his own strength. We tend to always want to be the alpha male, that I can fix everything, that I can do everything, that I'm the protector, that I'm the shield, I'm the barrier. But a father who can worship says, oh, yes, I'll do my best for my family, but my hope is built on something so much more. I'm anchored in something stronger than just myself. That's a powerful message. And to sing it invites that family to join in that delight in who God is. We need men who will worship God. Not just because they'll sing because their team scored a goal or maybe because they had one too many drinks. That's not the point. But rather they delight in God they worship. Again, not, not really important if they hit all the right notes or if they hit all the right notes, but maybe not in the right order. But it's just the fact that it's in their heart to sing. Simeon was an old man. He had grown up and seen the Romans come in and take over. We don't know how long he's had this promise from God. You will not die until you see the Messiah. We don't know. What we do know is that he's coming to the end of a long, long life and he's still waiting. He's still waiting. But instead of getting frustrated, he's anticipating. He's still looking. Is it just about positive thinking then? No, of course not. He's responding to God. That's the mark of people who see God. Those who seek Christ tend to be the ones who find Christ. The people who find Christ tend to be the ones who see him working. And those who see him working tend to be the ones who respond to him in worship. Do you see the flow of it there? Because the people who see him, and they see him working, and they respond in praise. They do so because they see that God is keeping his promises. They see that he is faithful. They see that he is moving. They see that he is still sovereign. And tonight our service is all designed around that, that, that we can see it and we want to share. Listen, I've seen God work in my life. I've seen it. There's something so encouraging about that that makes you want to sing, that makes you want to rejoice, that makes you want to worship. Because that is the response every time I leave that service every year. I want to praise God because I see him working in the lives of the people around me and I rejoice. As we come to the end of 2019 and embrace a new year, can I ask if the praise of God is on your lips? 
Well, has he ceased to love you? Has he ceased to be faithful? Has he not brought you through thus far? We have reasons to praise. Those who seek him will find him. Those who find him will find him to be worthy of our praise because they see him as he truly is, not just as we imagine him to be. Can we move forward with a determination to see him? The year is 2020. Let's have a 2020 vision of who God is. And I and say that this year I will make sure I don't miss him. This year I will make sure that I won't allow circumstances to cloud the clarity that I have of who he is. I'm going to put aside the cynicism. I'm going to put aside the coldness. I'm going to put aside the hurt. I'm going to put it all away, the disappointments, and see that the salvation of God is a powerful salvation that's greater than anything that's going on, that greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And nothing is impossible for him. And there is nothing beyond him. There's nothing outside his control and nothing is impossible. And so I will sing, I will rest, I will trust in him who has already done innumerable things for me and will sustain me and carry me through next year. That should give us something to sing about. Okay. Let me just finish with a third one. And uh, it's a short one, I promise. Look at his eyes, expecting God's promise. Look at his lips expressing God's praise. Look at his heart. A man experiencing God's peace. Having held the Savior, having rejoiced at the keeping of a promise, Simeon looks heavenward and says, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Father, I don't mind what happens now. I'm at peace. I'm okay. This isn't a man who's suicidal or sadistic. This isn't someone who's ready, uh, uh, who wants to die, but someone who is prepared. He's ready. An old man expressing his delight at the fullness of his life and the faithfulness of his God keeping a promise. So many people as they get older lose their peace. They accumulate hurts, gripes, scars, and they're not talking to so-and-so because of something that happened a long time ago that they can't really quite remember. All they know is that they're angry at them and they're not talking to them anymore. And that's just how it is. Wasn't dealt with. And things fester, and the older sometimes we get, sometimes there's more we things festering than what we'd like to admit. People have had broken hearts. People have left their life. Their own kind of people have come into their life. And there is a closed-heartedness. There's a sprinkling of bitterness that's just in everything that they do and say, and it's harsh. And they go into the, the winter of their lives and there is no peace. We're all a year older, folks. 2019 is coming, is all but gone. And I, I, lo- I look forward next year and, and there's, there's politics and Brexit and divisions and tribalism and... Uh, 
It's a mess. I see health problems in the NHS. I see unwillingness of people to let go and move on. I see people holding on to hurts and letting relationships be strained. I pray that we could all be like Simeon and find the rest and peace that he did in holding on to Jesus. Father, you are faithful. I am at peace. Now, Simeon is talking about dying. He's ready to depart. But what this is, this is a picture of trust. This is trust. Lord, not even death holds any fear for me. My eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen and I know what he will do. Now I have no fear in life and no fear in death. I am ready. I'm at peace. I wonder as we head into the new year, the closing question is a very simple one, folks. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Even if the road ahead is bumpy, to quote our queen on Christmas Day, even if the year brings trials, even if there's bereavements, do you have a peace that passes understanding? People who seek Christ will find Christ. Those who find Christ can't help but praise Christ. And those who praise Christ can't help but rest in the peace of his presence. That's the Christian life. I wonder how we're doing in the praise and the peace departments. If you're saved, then you have a reason to praise him. Luke will go on and write in chapter 10, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you're saved, you've got a reason to praise. Maybe you're saved and you've been holding back. Then why not come to him this morning? Ask for forgiveness and get busy looking forward, exalting his name, building up the Christians around you and reaching out to the lost through your praise and your testimony. If you are saved, but you're not in a position to praise him, come to him now. Make it right. Let go of those niggly things. Speak to the people after the service that you need to speak to to sort it out. And let God restore in you a heart of praise that seeks him above everything else. And if you're not saved, if salvation to you is not the person of Christ, but still being good, a person, doing good things, Simeon is a wonderful reminder that salvation is not found anywhere other than in Christ. Peace can be found, but it can only be found, lasting peace can only be found in Christ. Folks, listen, whoever you are, I hope that 2020 is a year full of blessing for you and your family. I pray for nothing but the best for you and your own. But no one knows what the future will hold. And Simeon acknowledges in it that Christ will be a divisive character because there will be those who will seek him and find him and there will be those who reject him and find eternal punishment in hell. 
And some of you just got a wee bit uncomfortable there. But this is the importance of Christ. This is the centrality of the gospel that without him we are dead in sins and condemned, but with him there is life, eternal life and life evermore. What will 2020 bring you? Only God knows. But I pray that you will go into the year determined to seek him while he may be found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful example that we have in Simeon. Lord, we thank you that this short cameo appearance offers us so much insight. Lord, help us to let go of the niggly stuff. But as we said to the boys and girls, Lord, may we not just sweep it under the carpet and hope that it just magically disappears. Lord, help us to hand it over to you. Lord, help us to be specific and just hand it over. Lord, restore a heart that wants to praise you. Restore in us a heart that is passionate for you. Restore in us a heart that is passionate for the work of the gospel and people around us. Lord, may we know a peace that comes from resting in you. And Lord, if, we, if there's anyone here, whether saved or unsaved, and they don't have those things yet, Lord, work in their heart. Lord, give them the courage to come to you this morning and to deal with it, to hand it over. And Lord, we pray in a week where all the days blur together, may this be a day that stands out in our memory for the rest of our lives as a turning point when we fixed our eyes on you. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Go and ask the musicians to come up and then we'll go into our time of communion. Thank you.